and uh, hear God's word. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. What a gift it is that we have such treasures in this book. And that you have not kept yourself hidden, but you have made known to us who you are, your ways, what you are doing in the world. That we might turn to you in faith and trust in your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We ask for your spirit now to be with us as we study your word. Help us to understand it and apply it into our own lives and our own community. And uh, Lord, we are yours. Teach us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking this morning about a topic that I think is a really important topic, the topic of the church which I think is an important topic for a couple of reasons. On the one hand, I think it's important because the, the whole idea of a church is a very countercultural idea. You know, it's institutional, it's authoritative, there's authority, God's given authority. You know, it's a, you know, it's a religious organization, which, you know, our culture is averse to. But on the other hand, you know, I, I also want to... Uh, the the topic of the church is important to me because if, you know for me personally I, you know I didn't grow up in the church and I always you know I saw churches around I saw those buildings and it was always curious to me what is going on in there what are they doing in the, behind those doors and it was it always seemed like a strange place to me but when I did become a Christian it, it was the church has always been such a beautiful and wonderful place for me I mean I, God has used the church in such tremendous ways in my life and so it's something that's so countercultural and yet so beautiful. And so I love talking about it, but you know, I, I have to say, for me personally, life in the church, spiritual life in the church, was not always a part of my Christian life. I, I became a Christian when I was 16, and for most of my high school and through college, you know, I, I wasn't really connected to a church. I definitely loved Jesus. I loved the Bible. I actually read the Bible quite a lot. I prayed. I even shared my faith quite a lot, but I was never really a part of a church. You know, I kind of... on. Different Sundays, I go to this church or maybe go to that church. I was never, I never became a member of a church. There was no group of people that would know I'm going to be there, and they looked for me on Sunday mornings. There was no sense of accountability, and I had no sense of that. That that was actually a part of how I was supposed to function in my spiritual life was a part of a community. I thought it was just kind of something that me and Jesus were doing together. And it wasn't until I got married, and Shannon and I went out. Uh, we became members of this little church out in the county, Wiser Lake Chapel, and the pastor there discipled me, and he told me how important it is that you're a member of a church, that there's people there that are expecting to see you on Sunday morning, that you're going to be there, and that was kind of shocking to me, and yet as we got invested and 
became a part of that community, we just grew tremendously. Had a huge impact on our life. And, um, and so, and, you know, one of the things that we have to understand in our culture as we think about the spiritual life is that there's really only two options. You either have a very independent kind of spirituality, an isolated spirituality, which says, you know, I have a spirituality that's for me, and, you know, that I'm kind of in control of, I get to make all, call all the shots on, but is very isolated, and I would say actually very lonely. A spirituality that's just, it's individualistic. It's very American, but it's very individualistic. You can, have a, you can have a spiritual life like that, or you can have a spiritual life that's connected to a community, where there's other people who are speaking into it, that you're accountable to, that where people have some agreement, they have some say in my life, and, and people are loving and nurturing and building each other up. If you have that second option, a spiritual life lived out in a community, it will always be organized. There has to be shared beliefs. There has to be shared practices. There has to be shared accountability. A, a, a spirituality that has relationship will always be organized religion. And I think, you know, for many people, when they think about what Jesus was doing, they think of him as kind of a wise, you know, he's a guy who has wise words to help, your life, help you become a better person. Jesus was doing something very different than that. He was rescuing and saving people out of their sin to form them into a people. He was building a church. That's what Jesus' task was. That's what he was doing. That's what he was up to. And you know what's happening in this passage here? We've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew. This is the turning point in the whole Gospel of Matthew. This, this part in, in Matthew chapter uh, 16. And so far, Jesus has been up in Galilee. and This is where he grew up, north of Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, he's been he's recruiting disciples. He's been training them. He's been testing them out, sending them out on missions. He's been healing people. He's, you know, he's kind of shown the disciples who, he's, who he is. He's getting them ready. And then now he's gone up to this, he's retreated with them up into this city in the north called Caesarea Philippi. You saw that. This is the no, most northern place that we've seen him so far in the gospel. And what he's doing up there, and, and from this point forward till the rest of the, the gospel, he's going to head south on a journey toward Jerusalem, which is going to end with him dying on the cross. So the rest of the book is aimed at Jesus' final hour. It's all focused there. And what he's doing here is he's kind of like, you know, you imagine someone who's going to run for president and, you know, the primaries are about to start and they're, they're thinking, okay, you know, am I going to make the run for president? Am I going to, you know, get on the news and say that I'm making a presidential bid? And what does he do? He retreat, goes on a retreat with his advisors and they all get together and he asks advisors and he says, all right, what are people saying? What are my chances? And then he says, are you guys with me? Should we make this run? Should we do it? Are we ready? Right? And he's getting ready. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's retreated with his disciples. And in verse 13 it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, We believe in you. We know who you are. And then this is, Jesus says this in verse 18 in response. And I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. At the turning point in Jesus' ministry, as he's giving his vision to his disciples of what he's doing, he says, what I am doing is building a church. 
That's his plan. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is the church. And, you know, actually, as I was preparing for this, this was originally a two-point sermon, and I was going to answer two, two questions. What is God's relationship to the church, and therefore what's our relationship to the church? And I got through point one, it was a whole sermon, so we're just doing point one in this one. Maybe we'll get to point two next time. Uh, we'll see. Um, but this, this morning, we're just going to ask this, this one question. What is God's relationship to the church? This strange community of people that God's put together, even us, a local church, what is he doing here? And you know, before we answer that, I just got to make one, one comment. Um, probably the most important Christian doctrine is that Christians say that there is one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and that even though there's one God, all, the Father's fully God, the Son's fully God, the Holy Spirit is fully God, and, and yet there's three distinct persons and there's only one God. How it works, we're not exactly sure, but it's the most important thing that we believe. And the reason it's important is because what we believe as Christians is that God himself is a community. When we say God is love, we're not saying that he's some energy in the sky that feels loving. We say that God is multiple persons who love each other, who honor one another, who pour themselves out for one another. That is God's life. So when we get brought into God's life and God brings you into life and he shares his life with you, the most natural thing that we are going to do is form a community. Because that's what God's like. If God is a community, we'll become a community. And our spiritual life will be lived out in community, not isolated, okay? And so as we ask the question, what is God's relationship to the church? We can answer it in respect to each of those persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So, first answer, what is God's relationship to the church? First answer, the church is created by the Father. The church is created by the Father. Now, um, Jesus asked, in this passage, Jesus asked the disciple, who, asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Uh, and in verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that's actually what a church is. A church is all the people coming together who agree with Peter here and say, We agree that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, so we're going to come together and we're going to worship him. And, um, and this is what makes our community. But then Jesus makes this comment about Peter saying that. He says in verse 17, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So first you hear the mention of the Father there. And he says, the reason you know this, the reason you believe in me, it's not because you're a smart guy, not because you figured it out, it is because God has done a supernatural work in your heart so that you would believe that. And that the only way that you can make that confession with Jesus, that I believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, is if God has done something in your heart to reveal that to you. It is something supernatural. It is a gift. Which means that the formation of this community is not something that we came up with. It's something that God did in us to bring us together. He's the one forming this. He's the one creating it. He's the one who's taught each one of us who Jesus is. Another place that says is basically the same thing as John 1.13, where John says that Christians were born not of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You were born spiritually, 
not because of the will of any man, or not even because of your own will, but because of God's will. It was God's will that you were born. And, and you know, that's the image of being, you know, born again. You know, that's kind of how, when you, your first family, when you're born, you know, you didn't choose the family that you're part of. You know, some of you think, you know, if I could have chose my family, maybe I would have chose a different one. And, uh, and, you know, I was just popped in there. I had no say in it. Just being born just happened to me. And it turns out, the Bible says, that that happens to us spiritually as well. This formation, this family, we're brothers and sisters. We have God as our Father. This new family, we're birthed into because of God's, because of God's will and God's create, you know, creative power. And actually, you know, just this last week, I was talking to a, a, a friend of mine, my neighbor. Uh, he's a great guy. Love, who, you know, we're always talking about the Bible and talking about Jesus. We'll go down to Elizabeth Station and, and talk about stuff and he'll ask me questions or ask him questions. And, uh, and he was saying to me, he said, you know, I'm really interested in, in the Bible. I love talking about it. I definitely believe in God. I'm just not quite there on the Jesus thing yet, following Jesus. You know, which is essentially saying, I don't quite <laughs> get Peter's confession yet. And that's what I told him. I said, well, you know, the Bible says you actually can't just start believing in Jesus. It's faith is a gift. Faith is something that God has to do in you. And so, and actually I told him, so probably the best thing you can do is ask God to give you faith. It's a gift from him. Ask him to give it to you. And he's like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I haven't thought of it that way. And, the, you know, the reason that we haven't thought of it that way is because for most of us, we think of approaching God and think of approaching our spiritual life is, you know, I've got to get this God thing figured out. And once I get it figured out, then I'm going to make a decision about what I'm going to do. And you just imagine, imagine if we were a community of the people who had gotten the God thing figured out. I mean, it'd be either like we're kind of a philosophical club or something like that, or, you know, there'd just be kind of an arrogance to it that we had everything figured out. That's not what we are. The Bible doesn't talk about us being a group of people who figured out God. It always talks about us as if we were in darkness and God reached into the darkness and pulled us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That we were just, we were made his, we were formed into community because of what he was doing, not what we were doing. And so that's the first thing that we learn about God's relationship to the church is that the church is created by the Father, by his will. This was his invention. Which, you know, just as a by the way, we're, that should be humbling to us. What we're trying to do here is not natural. It's not natural. You know, taking a bunch of people that, we, you know, we would not have been in this room together for any other reason except for God's will. And he sticks us together to say, now I want you to love each other. I want you to serve each other. I want you to learn from each other and care for one another. I want you to worship together. I want you to do all these things. And what the Bible says is we can't do that on our own. It's only by supernatural power at work in us can we be unified around this confession, okay? And so we, we look to God and, and, and see, him, see him do that. So first, what is God's relationship to the church? We are called, we were called here by the Father. You know, in this, another way to think of it, in the same way the universe, you know, the universe didn't just decide to be created. God did something and then it was created. He's spoken into existence. That's what he's done to us, Okay. But the second thing we learn in this passage about God's relationship to the church is that the church is built on the person of the Son, on the person of Jesus. And you might be familiar with these passages in uh, you know, verse 16. Simon Peter replies, Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter uh, replied and said, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And then it says in verse 18, 
And I tell you, Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. And the, the Greek word for rock is Petra, uh, which is, sound, you know, it's a little wordplay on Peter's name is rock, and it's like rocky, and on this rock, I am, on this rock, I will build my church. And what he's saying is that the thing that I'm going to build this community on is this confession that Peter made. Peter made this confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I'm going to build the whole community on that belief. Now, what are those two things? Jesus is the Christ, and he is the Son of the living God. What do those two things tell us about him? Well, first of all, the Christ, the word Christ is the word, the anointed one. It means he's the king, the Messiah that was promised from the Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, there were all these prophets who made these promises that God was going to gather the nations together and heal the nations and wash the world of sin and kind of heal the world. And it was going to come through this promised king who was going to come and lead the way. And Jesus is saying, I am the one, I am the promised king, I'm the true king of the world that brings healing. And so we all say the way that healing comes in human individuals, in human communities, in human nations, in human families, the way that healing comes is through the, the true king, submitting to the true king, coming under his reign. So he's the Christ. So we all say we submit to the king. But he's also the son of the living God, which means Jesus shows us who God is. You know, we often talk about that Jesus was divine. Jesus was God become a man. Which is to say something really interesting about Jesus. Wow, here's a man who's God. But it also says something amazing about who God is. What is God like? You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Turns out, you know, Jesus, he welcomes all the prostitutes and tax collectors and he eats with them. That's what God's like. Jesus who welcomes the crippled and the lame and the poor and he, and he feeds them and he heals them and he cares for them and he's, he's warm and he's welcoming and, uh, and they come and they make requests to him and he lets them speak to him and, and he lets people that, that are thrown out by the world come and touch him and come near to him. That's what God is like. And if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And so we don't, we don't just come here and say we worship some vague God who's up in the sky somewhere. We worship the God who is revealed to us in Christ. And that is, that's the thing that brings us together, right? You know, for many evangelicals, that statement by Peter that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of, Son of the living God, we think of that as kind of a ticket that if you believe in that, then you get into heaven. Which is certainly true. Jesus is the way to be reconciled to God. If you want to have peace with God, it's only through Jesus. But actually, that statement completely forms our whole life together, our whole, how we interact with one another. So, you know, we think, Jesus has forgiven all my sins I have ever done in my life and ever will do in the future. And so then, when I come into a community like this, if someone in this community wrongs me, which will certainly happen, not only sometime, but probably many times in my life here, if Jesus has forgiven me, I have to forgive you. I just have to. Because of what he's done for me. Or I think of, you know, I was far off. I was an atheist. And, you know, I wanted nothing to do with God. And God, welcomed, Jesus welcomed me in. He, even though I was a f far off, he brought me in. And so if someone new comes into this community who doesn't know anyone and they feel kind of like an outsider, what do we have to do? Well, Jesus embraced me, so I have to embrace them. 
Or, you know, Jesus spoke the truth to me. He said some hard words. He told me about my sin. You know, he, he, he confronted me and, and spoke the truth to me. If Jesus speaks the truth to me, then we as a community, we need to speak the truth to one another and to, to our community. And you see, what, you see what's happening is that as we make Jesus the centerpiece of our community, it shapes our relationships, it shapes our, our emotions, our whole sense of identity of who we are. It shapes how we uh, spend our time, how we spend our money, um, how we think about the world. I mean, everything is pouring out of this because he is the rock. He is the cornerstone on which this whole community is built. And, you know, it's important to say that because there are a lot of other things that you can build a community like this on. Right? Many of us could say, you know, I'm lonely. Why don't we make a community where people just come together and love each other and we, we don't have to be lonely? You know, maybe, maybe that's, why, that's what we should build a church on, is, is community, right? Or maybe, you know, we all want to be better people. Why don't we come together and build this community on being better people? Oh, or, uh, you know, we think we should care for the poor. Why don't we build a community on caring for the poor? These are all good things. These are all things we need. Why don't we build a community on any of those things? Throughout history, and especially over this last century, people have tried to build churches and communities on those ideas, and they fall flat and they fail. There's no life in them. If people could just get together and build community, then, you know, why is the world so broken? Of course we can't do that. But when we make Jesus the centerpiece, he is the rock on which we build this community, he's the thing that binds us together as we love him, all these other things start to happen as a byproduct. We start caring for the poor. We start caring for one another. We start not being as lonely because I have people, I have brothers and sisters around me. And, uh, and I start to become a better person. I learn about my own heart and I, I really start to love God and love, you know, and I learn some wisdom. All of these things happen, but only when Jesus stays as the centerpiece. And so, only on Peter's confession can a church be built. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, first, what is God's relationship to the church? First, he's the one who creates it. He's also, the Father creates it. But then it's built on the person of the Son, Jesus. He shows us who God is. But, you know, it's interesting that Jesus uses the language of build a church in this passage. You know, I was just, this last week I was talking to my kids, and I asked them, you know, when we go to church, when I, when I say we go to church, is the church the building we go to, or is it the people that we're going to? And I think they kind of sensed that it was, you know, what I was looking for, so they all said, I'm guessing it's the people, right? And they were right, you're right, it, the, the church is a community. So why is Jesus talking about buildings, you know, rocks on which buildings are being built? Why is he talking about buildings? Well, this is the third thing that we learn about God's relationship to the church, is that the church is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. In the community of the church, God's very Spirit is living and dwelling. And uh, again, verse 18, and I, tell you, uh, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this, uh, this saying from Jesus is actually probably an allusion to Isaiah 28, where there's, there's a, you know, a part where Isaiah has this prophecy where he's talking about like death coming up out of hell and swallowing up all these people. And the only thing that's remaining immovable 
in these waves of death coming up out of hell is the foundation of the temple that is remaining immovable. And um, what Jesus is referring to here, when he's talking about building a building, it's not just any building. He's talking about the temple of the Old Testament. And if, you, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, the temple in the Old Testament was the place that God dwelt on earth. So if you think of you know, earth as the place where man dwells and heaven is the place where God dwells or lives, then the temple is the overlap of, of heaven and earth. It's the place where the dwelling place of man and the dwelling place of God Come, become one. And actually in the New Testament, Jesus becomes the new temple. He's the place where heaven and earth overlap, is in the person of Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, I'm building a temple where my presence will, will be and, and, and my spirit will fill this. And it turns out that this temple that he's building is a temple of people. Our bodies, the, the physical bodies that are present in this room, are the place where the spirit of God dwells and lives, and this is what he's building. And you ask the question, you know, the Spirit of God is in the room right now. God's very Spirit is at work right now. And the Spirit is tremendously active, right? The Holy Spirit is searching your hearts and your minds right now, understanding you, knowing you, your thoughts kind of going even into dark chambers in your soul that you don't even know about. He's going in there, and he's, he understands them, and he's speaking to them. The Holy Spirit is organizing relationships. You know, when you meet certain people at church and new relationships that God is going to use to form in your life, that's the Holy Spirit orchestrating all of those things. And he's taking these words of the scriptures and he's shaping your life and your identity, your understanding of God and changing how you think and who you are and challenging you. And, uh, and he's unsettling us and he's challenging and shaping us to become like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is active, is the active, intimate presence of God in the community that's built on Jesus. It's an active presence. Now, the reason I say this, this is really important, is because you ask the average person in Bellingham, where should you go to experience the presence of God? What are we going to say? Most people are going to say, Mount Baker. You want to experience God's presence, you go up to Mount Baker, right? I mean, just the majesty, the beauty up there. Go up there in August, you know, Skyline Divide, and you see a beautiful place. It's just so peaceful and so restful. And, of course, the Bible confirms that, that everything that God has made sings of his glory and his power and his wisdom. And so, absolutely, that's true, that we do learn things about God when we go up on Mount Baker. But... Um, what the Bible says is that the thing that will really shape us, the presence of God, that where we'll really experience the presence of God profoundly is actually in this community. This simple community, group of people here. You know, it often seems so kind of humdrum, everyday group of people. This is actually where the glory of God is singing and is beautiful and is far more profound. And why is that? Why is God's presence so much more profound here than up on the mountain. What's the difference? The difference is that on Mount Baker, there are no people. That's probably why you like going up there. <laughs> There's no people up there. You don't have to deal with any people. You don't have to face anyone. And yet it's here that you have to deal with the challenges, the fears of loving other people. You have to face the questions of forgiveness. It's in the faces of the people that are present here that the glory of God is shining. In the people who Jesus' spirit is inside of, 
And it's here that you will really experience God's presence working through his people. And what will happen is you go up on Mount Baker, you know what, you're not going to be challenged. There's a stillness there, right? And that's part of the good, and that's a blessing to be among that stillness. But it's not going to unsettle my life. It's not going to challenge me. It's not going to address my sin. And what happens here is what we have to expect is when we come into the presence of God, do we think that it's going to be peaceful stillness? Is that what you would expect? Now, sometimes it is. But actually, coming into God's presence is profoundly unsettling. He turns your world upside down. That's what happens when you come into God's presence. He turns your world upside down. And, you know, actually, I've I've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia to my, my kids. There's this great scene where Aslan takes these two little girls, Susan and Lucy. Aslan's a lion, if you haven't read that. And he takes them, he's throwing them up in the air. This is after he was raised from the dead. And he's throwing them up in the air, and they're like, oh, you know, what are you doing? Aslan, you throw it. And, and it, it has this great description with his big, velvety paws. He catches them. And, of course, it's tremendously upset and settling to get thrown upside down by this giant lion. But that's what God does to us, is he throws us upside down, but he catches us with his velvety paws. And he only unsettles us, he only turns our life upside down for our good, because he loves us. He knows his purposes. He knows what is good for us. He wants us to come alive. It is here that that unsettling happens and not on the mountain. That's why we need the church. That's why we need to be here. And so as we think about the church, before we can start asking the question, what do do I do in the church? We first have to ask the question, what is God doing in the church? And we see that he's doing... So much. It was his invention. He's creating it. And it's founded on the person of Jesus. Everything we do is is marked by what he has done for us. And that here in the very bodies of the people among us, the very spirit of God is active and at work. It's not a stillness. It's a lively, fiery presence. We are those who have been brought into the great community of God himself. So may this be our forever home and our family and our life. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you for the church that you have called us your children, that we are brothers and sisters. And though the church um, has all the mess of human life when people are dwelling together, May your love guide us, inform us, and shape us that we may shine your glory. So we uh, thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. May the church always be our home, a place uh, of rest and wholeness and nurture and growth and challenge for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.